Thank you for joining us for Working Through the Word, a ministry of the Richmond Church of Christ. Let's join our pulpit minister, Mike Johnson, as he brings today's lesson. We have spent this entire year considering from 1 Corinthians chapter 10, drinking from the spiritual rock. When God brought his people out of Egyptian bondage, <clears throat> and he brought them out into that wilderness, the Bible says that the spiritual rock was following them the entire time. That is, Jesus was there, God was with them, guiding them through that time of wilderness. None of us doubts <clears throat> that we live in a time that we might call a wilderness time. When things are not right, when things are not what God wants them to be, when it is not the way we want things to be, we know that our spiritual rock is here. And so we have asked this year for all of us to be intentional to drink from the spiritual rock. We come finally to this final concept that we're dealing with in this chapter. And it actually occurs in chapter 11 and verse 1. <clears throat> when chapters were put together, God didn't make the chapters and the verses. Men did that. And the one who divided this chapter, I think, messed up. He should have made chapter 11 verse 1, the last verse in chapter two, uh, chapter 10. And so I want us to notice today that our word for today is imitation. As they were following that spiritual rock, God was saying, I want you to do what I tell you. I want you to imitate me. And that's what we are thinking about today. First of all, let's understand what imitation is. Imitation says that I appreciate this other person and I appreciate them so much that I am willing to emulate what it is that they do. You've heard it said that imitation is the sincerest form of flattery. Now, you can flatter somebody all you want to, <clears throat> and you can say great things about them. You might even say it to their face. But then as they move away, someone might actually talk badly about them. To them, it's flattery. But when they're not there, they're talking bad about them. But the sincerest form of flattery is not to say, oh, that is so good. You look so good. You do so good. I pre The sincerest form is to say, I'm going to do what this person does. I'm going to model my life after this individual. I'm going to do what they do. You might even say, when I grow up, I hope to be just like you. Probably every single person in this room can think of somebody that they say, I really appreciate that person. They encourage me. They strengthen me. 
I look forward to being around them because I learn more and I do more and I'm encouraged to do better. You probably have someone in mind that you have followed. And to a very great extent, you are just like them. I want you to think with me today about this text where Paul had said in 1 Corinthians 11 in verse 1, imitate me just as I imitate Christ. Now tonight we're going to consider the fact that a person would actually say, I want you to imitate me. How is it possible that we, imperfect people, Paul, an imperfect person, could actually suggest, I want you to imitate me. We need to know what kind of lifestyle. We need to know the attitude and the concepts. We might say to someone, imitate me. But for today, look at John 10 and the text that was just read for us. And I want you to notice with me how Jesus is talking about this word, imitation. We begin in verse 22, read for us. We find that it's the time of the year. We talked about it in class this morning. It's the time of the year that is basically from September to October in our calendar. It is called the Feast of Dedication. And the Feast of Dedication was a feast that the Jews created for themselves. God did not create it. But they created it for themselves to remember the temple that was rebuilt after coming back from the Babylonian captivity. And it was reminding them of the great revolt of the Jewish people against the Greeks in 167 B.C. because the ruler Antiochus IV Epiphanes came into the Jewish temple and offered a sow on their altar. And that desecrated the altar. And therefore it had to be cleansed and a revolt occurred to cleanse the entire land. These people through the Feast of Dedication were remembering that from their time. And Jesus came into the temple at that very time. He was on what is called Solomon's Porch which was a portico outside of the temple grounds itself. Now notice what we see starting in verse 24. The Jews surrounded him. They came and said, basically they said, how long are you going to keep us guessing? How long are we going to have to try to wonder who you are? When are you going to tell us? We want to know Plainly, the text says, plainly tell us, are you the Christ? These Jewish people had been around Jesus now for a little while. And being with him and around him, you know that they didn't want him to be the Christ. They didn't want him to be the Messiah. Because what he was presenting them as a Messiah was not the one that they wanted. 
But they would say, go ahead and tell us, are you the Christ? Don't hold us any longer in suspense. Let us know really who you are. And so Jesus said, I told you. I've already told you. Jesus plainly gave them everything they needed to know that he was special, that he was not human. There was something about him that made him stand out. You should have known that I was the Christ. Now, Jesus had not yet said, I am the Christ. I am. Am the Messiah. But he had shown them or told them over and over again that that's exactly who he was. He told them so. Even though it wasn't that exact word, in chapter 5 of John, Jesus said, The works that you see in me are the same works that my father does. Now he didn't say, I am the son of God. But he said, I'm doing these things. You ought to be able to see that. You ought to be able to look at those things and know that I am the son of God. I am the Christ. I am the Messiah. And many times... He would say those kinds of things. Oh, he told them. But number two, he showed them. He left what should have been, no doubt, just the way that John lays out his gospel is for this very point. John only records seven miracles of Jesus. And each one of these was designed to show his power and his authority in a special way. So you go to John chapter 2. And you see that Jesus turned water to wine. That was... Sign number one. In chapter four, he healed the nobleman's son. It was sign number two. In chapter five, Jesus healed another man. And he was at the pool of Bethesda. You recall the waters being stirred. In chapter 6, he fed 5,000 people. And then he walked on the water following that event. Those five signs Jesus showed them, he demonstrated to them, nobody else could do this. You couldn't do it. I did it. I am the Son of God. They should have seen it. He showed it to them. Now, there were two that followed this event. In chapter 9, he healed a blind man. And then to top it all off, the coup de grace, in chapter 11, 
he raised Lazarus from the dead. Jesus showed them plainly that he was indeed the Son of God. But look at verse number 26. But you did not believe. The Bible says that faith comes by hearing. And hearing by the word of God. Romans chapter 10 and verse 17. God would never expect anyone to believe something or to have faith in something were there not a word from him about it. In his words and in his deeds, these people showed themselves guilty. They did not believe that he was the Son of God. Because they had not allowed themselves to believe it. They had not allowed faith to develop in their hearts. They were rebelling in heart and mind from everything that Jesus taught them. Because they did not want to believe. Jesus imitated his father. He did what he asked him to do. He did the works that he did. Jesus imitated God. Number two, he wants his sheep to imitate him. I think it is a curious phrase in verse 26. You do not believe because you are not of my Sheep. Wait a minute. Aren't these Jews? Aren't these God's people? Isn't this the chosen nation, the chosen people, specially set up that God gave his law to that he didn't give to the Gentile people? Aren't they special? Yeah. But that didn't make them sheep. Jesus said, you are not of my sheep. Literally, you are not out of the ones who are my sheep. In other words, you got to come out from where you are to be one of the sheep of Jesus. And they had refused to do that. These people needed to hear that sheep follow the shepherd. And if you're going to claim to be one of his, then you're going to have to be one who says, okay, I'm going to do what the shepherd says. You're not of my sheep because you don't believe. Let's look at what he tells them. Number one, my sheep. Hear my voice. Obviously, these were people who were listening to the wrong voice. They were listening to something else. They were not listening to truth. How many people today have ears that are not listening to what real truth is? 
They are listening to the truth that the world wants to give, and they are listening to the truth that they want to hear. Oh, and they can make it sound good. In our class this morning, we talked about that very thing. How do you, as Isaiah said in chapter 5 and verse 20, there are those who substitute light for darkness and darkness for light. How do you make someone believe that darkness is light? Because you frame it in a way that sounds good. Does God love everybody? Yes. Is he a loving and merciful and gracious God? Yes. Then wouldn't it be unloving for his people not to accept someone so that we can have all kinds of alternative lifestyles and we must accept it because that's the loving thing to do. And you hear that enough and see that phrased enough and you might start thinking, well, Maybe that is loving. Some people have accepted that. Many are following that path. But that's not the voice of God speaking. Because part of love is truth. And truth cannot be denied. Truth makes you free. These people didn't see Jesus imitating God because they were listening to the wrong voice. Therefore, number two, they were going the wrong way. I know them and they follow me. They were going the wrong way. Because of the voice they were listening to, they were going in the wrong direction. It's the Pied Piper syndrome. They follow the Pied Piper wherever he goes. And that's the direction they take. They didn't want to see Jesus. They didn't want to listen to him. They didn't want to follow him. Therefore, they did not understand. Why did they not understand what he had said and what he had told them? Because they were listening to the wrong people and therefore heading in the wrong direction. It begins by saying, if I'm going to imitate Jesus... I'm going to listen to him. You see, those who imitate Jesus, number one, they tune in. They tune in. There used to be a time, may still be to some extent, most people have their own playlists and radio stations and uh, on their phones in different places. But I remember well traveling with my parents at night and turning the radio to 
Some of you young ones ever heard of AM radio? That's the one with the static. That's the real good radio as far as I'm concerned. Anyway, I would turn through the static trying to find a ball game to listen to. And you know how it works when you go from station to station. You get all these sounds and all these things, and you're trying to tune it in. And finally, you get where you want to go, and you turn it just a little bit. You're trying to tune it in the best that you can. You're trying to make it work. You're doing whatever you can to get as much of it. That's what God wants us to do if we are imitating Jesus. He wants us to tune in. And he wants you to put it on that signal to be as strong as you can get it. Maybe sometimes we don't tune in. Maybe sometimes we're just a little bit off. Maybe there's a lot of static going on. But if I'm going to imitate Jesus as he wants me to, I need to turn into the clear channel. Make it as clear and as vibrant as I can. Number two, if I'm imitating Jesus, then I get up and I go. You noticed in the recounting of Jesus' life, there's not a whole lot of time when he was sitting down doing nothing. There's very little where he just sat around and did nothing. Get up and go. Jesus was constantly out doing. We are people who, if we're following Jesus, if we imitate him, we get up and go. One of those ways that we do that will be the food boxes this weekend. To help those children in our county who won't have enough to eat during the holiday times. Oh, and how we have as a church rallied to this far more money every year than we spend to make those boxes because we care about people. We get up and go. I hope that you will get up and come on Friday and Saturday and help us out. It's one of the greatest things you'll ever participate in. One of the most well-organized, fun things to watch Families of kids of all ages will be here because when you imitate Jesus, you get up and go. But finally, in verses not at the end, that is, that say this if I'm imitating Jesus, I'm staying put. Notice what he said in verse 28. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. Neither will anyone snatch them out of my hand. In verse 29, no one can snatch them out of my father's hand. It is not possible today for Satan or anybody else to drag you out of the hand of God. Can't be done. We can open ourselves up to it. Demon possession of the first century doesn't happen today in that, regardless of whether I want it or not, this demon just takes me over. That happened in the first century. 
But can people be demon-possessed today? I think they can't, but they do it of their own free will. They open themselves up to it. And Satan will take an advantage of that, just like a void is always filled by something. A vacuum that is open will immediately be filled. Satan won't wait. But nobody can snatch us out. Because by imitating Jesus, you stay put where he is. If you're imitating Jesus today, if I am imitating Jesus today, then we are tuned in. We get up and go, and we stay put where he puts us. That's what it means. To imitate Jesus. And again, imitation is the sincerest form of flattery. If we sing, oh, how I love Jesus. If we sing, he is my rock, he is my shield. If we sing, we love the Father and we love the Spirit. If we're not imitating them, we are merely giving flattering words. And without the imitation, the words are not sincere. I hope today that we have been reminded of the definition and the importance of imitating Jesus. Baptism is a wonderful image of imitating Jesus. This person of sin, like Jesus was put on the cross for the sins of the world, this person who says, I'm tired of sin. I'm tired of it standing between me and my God. Dies to that sin. Jesus died on the cross. And just as he was buried, this person in death spiritually is buried in water. Three days later, Jesus rose from the dead. And that person is Raised out of that water, a brand new person. Baptism imitates the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. It makes sense that God would ask us to do that if we're going to imitate Jesus. And that imitation is a continuous living with Him. Today, if you've been reminded in a way that says, I need for these people to help me, or I want to imitate Jesus in his baptism and in my baptism. We're here to help you. That's why we gather. That's why we close in this way. Our shepherds will be here as we stand together. We hope you enjoyed today's broadcast brought to you by the Richmond Church of Christ. We are located at 1500 Lancaster Road in Richmond, Kentucky. We meet on Sunday mornings for Bible class at 9 a.m., followed by our morning worship service held at 10 a.m. 
Our Sunday evening service is held at 6 p.m., and our midweek Bible study is held on Wednesday at 7 p.m. If you are in the area, we would love to have you as our honored guest. Thanks for listening.